Um, but turn to John chapter 1. Um, we are taking this year um, all the way through the end of November until um, we hit Christmas time to walk through the book of John. And uh, I am extremely, extremely excited. Um, we believe that um, the Word of God is what makes people come alive. Um, it is the Word that does the work. It's not anything that I can say. Uh, it's not any kind of atmosphere or mood that we can create in here. Um, anytime the Word is open, it goes forth, uh, and it does its work, and God uses His Spirit to uh, help us interpret it and uh, to make uh, us alive through it. And so I'm excited that we're just going to be walking through the book of John passage by passage, chapter by chapter throughout this year. Uh, and so tonight we are in John chapter 1 still. We're going to be be in verses 19 through 34, and uh, we'll read that in just one moment. This thing keeps falling. I need to fix it, so I'm not touching it the whole night. All right, so uh, before we read the passage, I want you to imagine with me a scenario just for a moment. Um, this is probably going to be a, a ridiculous scenario, um, but I want you, and it's not going to be as like funny as you're thinking, um, but I want you to imagine me for uh, one second, um, heaven. I want you to picture heaven, and you're like, how do I even picture that? I don't know. I don't know how to picture it. We'll see, uh, you know, when we die and pass on from this life. But picture heaven, whatever heaven looks like in your mind. Uh, and I want you to picture uh, Jesus in heaven. So he's at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. Um, but just for the sake of an illustration, just picture Jesus in heaven. And I want you to picture Jesus in heaven, and he's talking. Uh, maybe he's talking to uh, the angels. Maybe he's talking to uh, believers who are now in his presence, who have passed on. Uh, maybe you know, the, the Trinity is discussing among themselves. But I want you to imagine Jesus is in heaven. He's sitting up there and he's talking. And I want you to imagine that he says this. He says, out of every person in history, um, you know, obviously apart from himself, uh, who was born and lived on this earth, man, there was not a person greater than, and then he says, your name. Like imagine he says, man, there is not a person on earth in all of history and all of creation who was greater than Zach Anderson. Now that probably feels a little weird, right? You would not, you never expect him to say that. Or he says there, there is not a, uh, a person greater than Jared Thompson. He, he, is, he was the greatest. Now that sounds weird and I think if any of us were to imagine that scenario, um, and rightly so, we should probably feel a little bit weird about that. Like Jesus, God himself in his glory and in his majesty as creator and we are creation, he would be calling us great and that really wouldn't make sense to us. But in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus, when he's talking about the kingdom, he mentions something about John the Baptist, which is the person we're going to look at in our text tonight who we were introduced to last week. And Jesus says in the book of Matthew that uh, all who have been born of women who have been on this earth, there is none greater than John the Baptist, which is who we're reading about tonight. And the reason Jesus is saying that, and part of the point he's getting at, is that John's life exemplified kingdom greatness. It was a greatness that is different than the greatness that uh, our world holds up. It was a greatness that in God's upside-down kingdom where things are the exact opposite a lot of times as the way they are on this earth, Jesus viewed John as great. And so tonight as we look at John 1, 19 through 34, and we look at the testimony and the ministry of John the Baptist, I want us to ask ourselves, looking at his life, what was it that would have made him great in Jesus' eyes? What characteristics did John display that made him great in the kingdom? What examples can we learn from his example? So, John chapter 1, 19 through 34, we'll go ahead and read it. It says, This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? 
He didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? Verse 23, he said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. And someone stands among you, but you don't know him. And he is the one coming after me, he's talking about Jesus here, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. All that, I know, I love that. All this happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he he might be revealed to Israel. Verse 32, and John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. And I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one who you see the spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Tonight, before we go into our groups, I want us to look at four observations that we can make from the testimony and from the ministry of John the Baptist about what it truly means to be great in God's eyes and in God's kingdom. So when we say true greatness or a truly great person, we're talking about greatness in God's kingdom. Number one tonight is this. A truly great person is not concerned with how people view them, but rather is concerned with how people view Jesus. A truly great person is not concerned with how people view them or what people think of them. They are concerned with how people view and think about Jesus. In verse 22, we see that uh, priests and Levites, they're coming from Jerusalem. And the Jews have sent them because they've heard about John and his ministry and what he's doing. And so they send the priests and the Levites, these these men with titles, these men with great spiritual significance, these men who the people revere. And they send these men as the representatives to go to John the Baptist and talk to him and ask him some questions and figure out what is going on. And so they go to him and they say, well, who are you? He says, I'm not the Messiah. It's not who I am. They say, well, are you Elijah? And he says, no. He gives these like little short answers. He said, they say, are you the prophet? And he says, no, I'm not the prophet. And so finally, after he just gives these short answers, he's like, no, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. They say, okay, well, who are you then? The people who sent us, we have to go tell them something about who you are and what you're doing. And John responds, and he says this, I am not Elijah, I'm not a prophet, I'm not the Messiah, I am a voice. I'm just a voice, and I'm crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. He says, the question you're asking about who I am, what my position is, is not important. Because the whole point of why I'm here in this ministry that I'm doing is that it is not about me. He says, I'm merely a voice pointing people to the Lord. And what we see from this is the humility of John. He wasn't concerned with how people viewed him. He wasn't concerned with having some official title or being recognized by man or gaining a following of people. He was only concerned with how people viewed Jesus. And the question for us based on this is this. Do I care more about what people think of me 
or what they think of Jesus. Like when I'm serving in church, when I'm worshiping, when I'm maybe leading in some capacity even in this ministry, do I do what I do because I want people to think highly and well of me or do I do it because I want people to know how great my God is? Another question for us to ask ourselves. Do I care more about man's recognition than I do God's approval? The Apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians, Galatians 1.10, he says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? Because if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Do I serve? Do we sing? Do we proclaim truth? Because we want to be recognized by man, to be thought of well by people, or because we want to glorify God. And we see here that a truly great person is not concerned with what people think of them. They are primarily concerned with what people think about Jesus. Second thing tonight is this. A truly great person knows that the only message they have to offer is the word of God. A truly great person in God's kingdom, in God's eyes, knows that the only message, the only thing of significance that they really have to offer is the word of God. Look in verse 23. He says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. They come to him and they say, who are you? What are you about? Please tell us something about yourself. What do we need to know about you? And John opens up his mouth and the first thing that comes out of his mouth is scripture. If you're using that CSB uh, scripture journal, you'll see that it's in bold and that's because in the CSB, um, Old Testament quotations are in bold. And so John, he opens up his mouth and he quotes the word. He quotes Isaiah 43 specifically here. So he opens up his mouth. He gives them the word of God. And then in verse 33, later on down, he says, I didn't know him. He says, but he who sent me, so God who sent him, he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He said, all I know is what God has told me and that is why I am telling you. He knows that the power is in the word of God. And now there's a couple things that we can take from this. One is that when it comes to giving the world what we have to offer as believers, when it comes to being a city on the hill, when it comes to shining our lights in dark places as a testimony of Christ, we have to remember that we are not the light. Jesus, the word made flesh, is the light. We are not the truth. The word of God is the truth. Jesus is the truth. And the message of hope that we carry, that all people can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, it's not a message of our own. The message of hope we have is from God. It's found in his inspired word. And that word is what has the power to bring dead people to life and to turn lives around. We can't depend on our own words. We can't depend on our own intellect in order to make people come alive. Can't depend on our own arguments. We can't depend on our own ideas. It won't work. We must simply be faithful to proclaim the message that the word of God has given to us. A second takeaway is this. As a believer, choose to put yourself under preaching that glorifies God by focusing on his word. Don't settle for preaching that glorifies the man that glorifies man's cleverness and creativity or glorifies man's communicative ability. Think about 
how the Bible presents biblical preaching or good preaching. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this, verses 1 through 5. He says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, all I had to offer was the message of the gospel. And on top of that, I really didn't have too much more to say. Verse 3, he says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and great trembling. My message and my preaching, they weren't with wise and persuasive words, but it was with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Good preaching is not about clever catchphrases. It's not about how creative or engaging or funny someone is, even though all of those things are things that can be still involved in good preaching. It doesn't mean that those things are bad. But ultimately, those things are not what the Bible values in preaching. A preacher who truly understands God's word knows that they don't have to try to embellish it or make it attractive. Their responsibility is to simply proclaim it by explaining and applying it with clarity and conviction in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as believers, as you go through life, this may be your church right now, you may go to another church, you may move and have to find a new church, choose to choose a, choose a church and choose to place yourself under preaching that is centered on the word of God. Don't go to a place someday, if you move from here or you end up in a different church, don't go to a church where it's all about the pastor's wit and cleverness and charisma. Because the Bible says that good preaching is in weakness, it's in trembling, and it's simply a proclamation by the power of the Holy Spirit of the Word of God. Verse 3, or verse 3, point 3. A truly great person recognizes that it is a great privilege to serve God. A truly great person recognizes that it is a great privilege to serve God. Look at what he says in verse 27 about Jesus. He says, He is the one coming after me, Jesus, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. He says, the person who's coming, Jesus, I am not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. Now in this time and in their culture, um, untying someone else's sandals for them, it's not something an equal would ever do for another equal. It's not even something a, a disciple or follower would do for their teacher. That would still be too low for them. Untying the strap of a sandal, it's something that was only reserved for the lowest of the lows. It was only reserved for the slaves. And John says here that he is not worthy to untie the strap of Jesus' sandals, meaning that he is not even worthy to be Jesus' slave. And like John, we are not even worthy of being God's servants. We're not even worthy of giving our entire lives for the sake of the gospel, It's even by God's grace and his goodness and his kindness that he even allows us to spend our entire lives for the sake of the gospel. And yet how often do we live as if God should be the one serving us? How often do we treat church as a place for us to come to have our needs met rather than a place where we go to meet the needs of others as we give ourselves to our brothers and sisters in Christ? How often do we treat worshiping through singing as something that is supposed to meet our needs rather than focusing on us giving something of ourselves in worship to God. I'll hear it all the time. I'll hear people saying, you've probably heard it too. And there's been times in my life where I've fallen prey to this kind of thinking. But you'll hear people say, 
well, I'm going to go to this service at church, but I'm not going to go to this service at church. Why? Because I don't like or I don't really connect with the worship, and by that they mean, you know, the music and the singing. Or people will say, well, I'm going to go to this church now because I like the worship better. This is very blunt, and you've probably heard this said before. But the worship is not about you. The worship is not about me. The worship is not about us. The worship is not about what we get. It's not about the experience that we have. It's about what we give to God. Worship, we are declaring God's worth. We are declaring his majesty. We are raising our voices together in order to glorify him. We are giving something. We are not primarily receiving something. And yes, obviously we do benefit personally from worship. Because as the Spirit's working in us, we're doing what we were created to do by praising God. And obviously there's going to be a joy and a peace and a love in our hearts that comes from that. But worship is primarily about giving. And when people talk like that, it reveals that there's something completely backwards in the way that they are thinking about worship. See, some of us, we have a consumeristic mentality about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be part of Christ's church. We think of our faith as a way to make our lives better rather than as a way of giving up our lives for something greater than ourselves. But as Christians, we are not called to be consumers. Ephesians says we've already been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. We're not called to be consumers. We're called to be contributors. And the fact that we are able to give, the fact that we are able to serve, The fact that we're able to use our lives as living sacrifices to God should cause us to be in absolute mind-blown awe because we recognize what a great privilege it is to serve our great God. Point number four. A truly great person proclaims the name of Jesus and puts the spotlight on him. A truly great person proclaims the name of Jesus and puts the spotlight on him. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. And when Jesus comes on the scene, John says, look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I told you about. When I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. This is him. And then verse 34, he says this, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John's focus was not on drawing people to himself. His focus was on pointing people to Jesus. And when he sees Jesus, he tells people, this is the Messiah. This is the one you should follow. And as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Christ, that is our job as well. Our job is to proclaim the name of Jesus to others, to direct their attention away from ourselves and toward him. And so the question for us then is this, am I living to make the name of Jesus known or am I living to make my name known? Am I trying to build my own kingdom on this earth or am I trying to help build up God's kingdom on this earth? When I come to church, do all my thoughts revolve around me or am I thinking about how I can bless others in Jesus' name? When I go to work or when I go to school or when I'm with my friends or family, am I faithfully proclaiming the gospel to them and pointing them to Jesus? Notice again what he says in verse 34. He says, I have seen And I have testified that this is the Son of God. I've seen and I've testified. John here, he makes a direct connection between seeing Jesus and testifying about Jesus. Because one who is born again, 
one who is a true follower and disciple of Christ and who has really seen the Lord with spiritual eyes and knows what it means to behold the glory of God is going to testify about Jesus. They're going to proclaim the gospel. See, one who is truly great recognizes that they exist to proclaim the gospel, to point people to Jesus, and then to get out of the way. And my prayer for us as a community is that that would be the posture of all of our hearts, both individually and collectively, that we would seek to, like John here, exercise humility, point people to Jesus, not point people to ourselves, not point people to Idlewild Young Adults, not point people to Idlewild Church, even though I love all of you and I love this ministry and I love this church, that's not what we're trying to point people to. We're trying to point people to Jesus. And our desire is that we would all be increasingly captivated by the glory of God. And that we would say, listen, I am in awe of who you are, Lord. In my life, it is a privilege to spend my life for you. And that like John, we would exercise that kind of focus on Christ and that kind of humility. So let's go ahead and pray. We'll sing one more song and then we'll break out into some discussion groups. Father, who are we that you are mindful of, as your word says? Lord, it's by an act of your own kindness and your own grace that we were created. It's in you that we live and move and have our being. Lord, we don't deserve physical life, much less do we deserve spiritual life. Lord, we don't deserve to even be your slaves, much less do we deserve to be your sons and daughters. And Lord, I pray that we would never forget that. That we would never have this mindset that this is all about me and what I can get out of it. Lord, no. Help us to have this posture that we see that John had. To be truly great in your kingdom by lowering ourselves. By taking the focus off of ourselves. By faithfully proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the word, and putting the spotlight on you every single day of our lives. Lord, even now as we sing, may our worship be acceptable to you. We'll give you the glory for it all. In Jesus' name.